Who loves scavenger hunts? <laughs> All right. Our family loves scavenger hunts, uh, especially Phoebe. <laughs> Phoebe, my sixth grader, does scavenger hunts at every opportunity. Doesn't have to be a special holiday. She loves scavenger hunts, and not just being the scavenger, but also planning the scavenger hunt. Why do you guys like scavenger hunts? Because usually there's candy. Usually there's candy. Okay. All right. Jack? It's fun to find stuff. Any other reasons? Jeanette? Got to speak up a little bit more. It's around Easter? Okay. Jackson? Who's your dad? <laughs> okay. All right. Kind of up in the scavenger hunt game in the Rosado house. Yes, Josiah. You do crafts too? Okay, that's good. Yeah? Yeah. You can get Easter eggs. That's a scavenger hunt that we did yesterday. Scavenger hunts. We love to look for stuff. We love to figure out what's been hidden. There's a mystery to be solved, right? And we like to get candy. We like to find what's been hidden. There's a, there's a thrill to even looking, right? On Wednesday night at the, at the Passover Seder, you might remember Miss Becca hid something, a broken piece of matzah. Do you remember what that was called? It had a Greek name. Uh, Greek? It was called, or it is called, afikomen, all right? Because in the Passover Seder, there's this broken piece of matzah bread that is hidden away for the kids to go and seek and find later. And what it's supposed to be helping us understand is that there's something that's broken that is going to be brought to completion. It's the hidden away scavenger hunt for the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? Well, yes, you're right. That's what we know the Messiah to be now. But remember, the Jewish people had waited for hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah the chosen one, their king. So yesterday, when we did our Easter egg hunt, did you know that Martin Luther did Easter egg hunts? Back in the 1500s, he and the men at his church would go out and hide Easter eggs so the women and kids could go and find them. The egg was like the tomb of Christ, and it was meant to show that there's new life, new life, resurrection life, they did it for the women and kids to remember at the resurrection scene, like your dad just read, guys. The women came first. They saw the empty tomb first. And you're wondering where we're going with this whole mystery and scavenger hunt idea, isn't it? Aren't you? We're not going to have one today. <laughs> at least not one you're going to run around with. But I do have three clues for you this morning. Three clues. We're going to talk about a type of scavenger hunt that Jesus took his disciples on in the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to give you three clues 
for a marvelous mystery that's about to be revealed. And that marvelous mystery will be a clue for a mystery still yet to come. So let's pray real quick and then we'll get into the clues. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us here together. Thank you that even as we talk about you this morning, we are talking with you. You're here with us. Thank you for rising again and being alive today. Amen. All right, so here's clue number one. Got to listen for it. In Luke 9, listen to what happens. Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, uh, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen from the dead. Then Jesus said to the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Christ was Greek for Messiah. Peter knew that Jesus was the chosen one they'd been waiting for. They're getting warm. They're getting close to understanding what's going on here. But here's the thing. Jesus shushes them. He says, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. He didn't want them to tell the secret of the clue they had just found out. It's not time yet for the marvelous mystery to be revealed. So Jesus gives them another clue. Listen. He strictly charged them, commanded them to tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So they're starting to understand. Peter's like, yeah, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus says, oh yeah, but guess what? I am the Messiah. I am the Christ of God. But the Christ needs to be killed. And the Christ will be raised on the third day. But this was hidden from the disciples. Earlier, Deanna read from Psalm 16. Because guess what? These clues didn't just happen in Luke. These clues were also in the Old Testament. Listen to what Deanna read. Psalm 16, verse 10. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is the place where the dead went. Or let your Holy One see corruption. What does a body do when it's dead and it's in the ground? Do you know? It disintegrates. It gets corrupt. It turns back to dust. Back when King David wrote that psalm hundreds of years ago, he was also talking about Jesus to come. You won't let your Holy One turn to dust. That was clue number one. Later on in Luke 2, there's another clue. Listen to what happens before the clue. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met Jesus. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. 
And I begged your disciples to cast the demon out of my son, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And everyone who saw it was astonished, amazed at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, did you catch that? They were astonished at the majesty of God. And now, just a minute, and now they were saying, were marveling at what he was doing. The people were realizing the next clue. Jesus is God. Not only was he just so God. They're getting excited. He just cast a demon out. That, that boy was rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And now he's normal. Back with his dad. We've never seen anything like this. What else could he do? What else could he do? And Jesus says, here's what else I'll do. Listen. While they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man, by that he's talking about himself, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Basically saying, I'm going to be given over and they're going to do bad stuff to me. But the disciples did not understand this saying. It was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about anything. See, they were getting excited, but then Jesus calms them down. I'm about to go through something that you do not expect. But they didn't understand. It was hidden from them somehow. They were understanding a clue, but getting a deeper clue that they didn't get. Jesus is basically saying, I am the Son of God. I am God the Son. But God the Father will give me into the hands of men. That should make us say, huh? Why would God the Father give his Son to guilty sinners, violent sinners, sinful sinners? Because, as it says in Isaiah 53, it was the Father's will to crush him for our good so that we could have our sins forgiven by his blood. There was another clue back in Psalm 22. Listen to this. G, the, the psalmist, this is David again, writes this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Where else have we heard those verses before? Kate? Kate? On the, on the skull, yeah. When he's on the cross, he cries out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we're getting these clues. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God. But then Jesus is throwing these other clues, deeper clues, that the disciples are not getting yet. So we get to Luke 18, clue number three. 
Jesus took the 12 disciples and he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem. Okay, they're understanding that so far. They know Jerusalem. They know how to get there. And everything that is written about me by the prophets will be accomplished. For he, the Son of Man, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after beating him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. What is the clue that Jesus is giving them? Everything in the Old Testament is written about him. And all of this that's about to happen in Jerusalem, the clues are all there. It's going to happen according to plan. Listen again from Psalm 22. See if, you, if these words, if you've heard about them when Jesus goes to the cross. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Oh, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My tongue sticks to my jaws. And you lay me down in the dust of death. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. See, King David was writing about Jesus many hundreds of years ago before Jesus walked the earth. So Jesus is saying, the Old Testament is about me. And everything will go according to plan. But the plan is not the plan that you think. The plan is for me to be killed and then to rise again on the third day. Because the clues in the Old Testament were not just about Jesus dying, but also him rising again. Psalm 22 later on says this, You who fear the Lord, praise him, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. Had the father, had the father forgotten the son forever? No. There was only that moment in time when Jesus became sin for us so that we could receive his perfection. So those are the three clues. Do you think the disciples got it? Well, Kate doesn't think so. How about the rest of you? Do you think the disciples understood what Jesus was saying? Let the people in the balcony hear you. No, they didn't. We've read that over and over again, right? But let's see if they ever understand. Right now, they're clueless. Why would God make such a mystery like this? Any, any ideas? Why would God not let the disciples understand what Jesus was saying to them. 
Jeanette, what do you think? A little louder. He didn't want them to tell others. That's right. If they had known and understood, they might have talked about it a lot. And it might have, if it could have been ruined, ruined the plan. Okay? Jack? They might have said, no way are we going to Jerusalem. We saw Peter in the garden take out his sword and chop off the guy's ear, right? They loved Jesus. They wanted to protect him. They didn't think death was part of the plan. Raising your hand, Caleb? No? Okay. Jacob? It was the 13 of them. Nobody else. Here's one other thing. Here's another reason why I think Jesus didn't tell them. Think about how sad they would have been for all of those days and weeks leading up to Holy Week. Jesus didn't want them to have to carry that load to walk in despair when they did not have to. He loved them. He wanted to protect them from that. But let's find out if they start to get a clue, if they start to understand. On the first day of the week, the women arose at early dawn, and they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, perplexed means confused. Are they understanding yet? They're not understanding yet. They're perplexed. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Those guys would be angels. And as the women were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you the three clues. While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And the women remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all the rest of the eleven and to all the rest. And how did the other disciples respond? They're like, ah, we don't think so. It says here, they thought that the story was an idle tale. Like the women came back and they were telling some sort of like fairy tale. But there was one dude, Peter. When we last saw Peter, Peter was running away in sadness because he had betrayed Jesus. And now, Peter's the one guy that runs to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling. There's that word again. Marveling at what had happened. So here's the thing. Peter saw it first of the guys. A little later on, on Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, Who's the one that got up to preach to everybody? 
Peter. And guess what Peter says? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. He's thinking back to those three clues. That God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Remember, he's the Christ and he's also God. He proved it by what he did. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The one you'd been waiting hundreds of years for? You killed him! And you could imagine this whole crowd sat or stood in stunned silence. But, Peter says, God raised him up. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Jesus, this Jesus, God raised up, and of all that, and of that we are all witnesses. They were in Jerusalem where Jesus rose again. If he wasn't alive, they could have run to the tomb and said, no, this is him right here. Instead, just 50 days later, Peter's saying, we have all seen him. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Whew! They heard his sermon. What happened? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We've killed the Christ. And Peter said to them, this is what you should do. Turn from your sins and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins will be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, those clues were for the disciples. Those clues were for the women. Those clues were for Peter to then preach like this. And those clues are also for us. As we stand back and we read God's inspired word, and we're like, man, this wasn't just happenstance. This wasn't just a random tragedy. This happened according to prophecy. Happened on purpose so that sinners could be forgiven. It happened for us. Because listen how Peter finishes his sermon. And I'm almost done with my sermon too. For the promise is for you, he was looking at the people, and for your children, their kids, and for all who are far off, even sitting in an Easter service, in Chicago, Illinois, United States of America, April 9th, 2023, far off from Jerusalem at Pentecost, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, pleading with them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. That's the call to us too. If God is calling you, be saved out of this crooked generation, like Simon of Cyrene called out to bear the cross. Leave your sin. Leave what you are used to. Leave your disbelief. And trust the only one who is believable. Jesus Christ. All of the scriptures are about him. The good news is we can have new life in him. We can have forgiveness of sins in him. The mystery, the clues are for us too. You might say, what am I doing here this morning? I would say, it's very possible, if you are not a Christian this morning, that God is calling you here this morning, saying you need to be in a place where you will hear the gospel the good news, full of grace and truth, that sinners can be forgiven. New life can be received. And there was a man, the God-man, who died according to plan and rose again according to plan to say, I'm alive. Come join me in life. Perhaps this was his plan for you this morning, to save you even on Easter Sunday. But I told you this, that that mystery revealed, the resurrection, was also a clue to a greater mystery to be revealed. See, the resurrection was a marvelous mystery revealed, and it is a clue for a marvelous mystery to come. This Easter morning, we are not just in awe of what mysteriously happened then, when Jesus was raised to life but of what his resurrection mysteriously promises, which is our resurrection. Listen to this. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes this, Behold, I tell you a... Can you fill in the blank? What word have I been using over and over this morning? Starts with an M. Mystery. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality... Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and I'm going to say that at the end. See, here's the thing. Jesus is coming back. In the same way that he went into the clouds, he will return. And all those who belong to Christ, that's an important thing to hear. It's not everyone. It's all those who have placed their trust in Jesus. All of them will be changed. Our mortal bodies, what does mortal mean? 
it'll die, right? Yeah. Are all of our bodies dying? Yes. No matter how healthy you are, no matter how jacked you are, young men, you are going to die someday. But Jesus says this, our mortal bodies will become immortal, undying when he returns. Paul is saying, when that happens, some people will not have died yet. They're going to be changed too. Those bodies that are in the grave, even if they've turned to dust already, did that stop God from creating Adam from dust? No way. God will raise up those bodies as well in the twinkling of an eye. And you might ask this question, but Andy, come on now. Really? That we might be raised from the dead? Like we're going to get different kinds of immortal bodies? That sounds like some Avengers stuff. Paul's like, no. Let me explain it to you with two clues. And with this we finish. This first clue is this. Planting a seed. Just a minute, Jacob. Planting a seed. He talks about this earlier in chapter 15. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So consider planting an apple seed. When you plant an apple seed, what do you expect to get? An apple tree. And then the apples come later, right? But if you just hold that seed, are you saying, wow, this is a great apple tree? No, you're saying this is an apple seed. If you want an apple tree, you plant an apple seed. But that's not the tree. That seed is just the husk that must go into the ground and die. But that seed has the life of an apple tree in it. Our bodies are good. God gave them to us. He made them. But they are dying. And one day they will go into the ground. But... Those seeds, if they have the life of the Holy Spirit in them, our natural bodies will be raised as new spiritual bodies. The dead will be raised to life as Jesus was raised to life. Just as you can trust all within the sound of my voice, just as you can trust that an apple tree will rise from an apple seed, we can trust that a spiritual body will rise from a body that has the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. How does that work? It's mysterious. How do you explain an apple tree growing from an apple seed? Pretty mysterious. Second clue is this. Think about this. The dusty life of Adam. The dusty life of Adam. We feel the dustiness of life every day. I felt it when I was holding Haven yesterday. Life that is hard, that is cursed, that includes death, and that this life is just going away. As sure as we feel the dustiness of this life that we have in our first father, Adam, we can be just as sure that we will know the heavenly Jesus life one day. 
For Paul says this, The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's us. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. This is exciting stuff. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, just as. That means when you fall and scrape your knee and you feel like, man, that hurt. Just as real as, real as that hurt is, one day you will never feel that hurt again. Just as we go and we mourn people when they die, there will never be that mourning again. We need to take what we experience here and believe that the converse of that is just as real as what we experience right here. That life will be true life. This life is not true life. It's dusty life. That life then will be real life. For just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Adam's not our final father. Jesus is our final brother. And the father is our eternal father. The resurrection we celebrate today was a promise kept and a promise of our resurrection still to come. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? We're headed to a new place with greater life. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are alive. Oh, would you pour out your spirit upon us, Lord? Bring salvation where salvation is needed. Bring repentance and revived belief where revived belief is needed. And give us faith to look to that day, to those days unending, when our faith will be sight because we have seen our King and received your kingdom. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.